What's up, everyone? It's Alan, aka Execution Double Nine, and I'm back for another episode of the Franchise Report. Last time, I talked about the NFL draft and the 49ers' decision to trade up for Trey Lance and the impact I feel that it will have for the future of the franchise. But tonight, I'm going to give another hot take on my view of the future of another franchise, but this time I'm going to change it up a bit. This time, I'm going to head over to the NBA and focus on my view on the future of another franchise, my beloved Orlando Magic. Specifically, we are going to look at the philosophy of tanking in the NBA and whether or not it's a good idea. The Magic ended their 2020-2021 regular season today with a loss to the Philadelphia 76ers. They end their year with a 21-51 record, placed second to last in the Eastern Conference, and the fourth worst record in the entire NBA. This puts them in a position to have another high lottery pick, and even decent odds at the number one overall pick. At the trade deadline, the Magic made a number of trades, shipping off Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, and all-star center Nikola Vucevic in an attempt to better set themselves up at the NBA draft lottery. There's some conflicting schools of thought on the concept of tanking, and as an Orlando Magic fan, I'm going to be speaking more specifically to their situation, but we're also going to look at the entire concept as a whole. The main idea of tanking is that in the NBA, with so many teams making the postseason, getting a low-seeded playoff spot does nothing for the future of your franchise. You're not good enough to be a championship contender, but you're not bad enough to get a high pick that can theoretically alter the course of your franchise. It's called the mediocrity treadmill, teams that are stuck in the middle with no real upward movement. On the surface, it seems logical. If you're going to be bad, go all in on it and reap the benefits. There's a lot of examples that are cited in the support of tanking, like the Cleveland Cavaliers, Golden State Warriors, Philadelphia 76ers, players like LeBron, Kyrie, Steph Curry, Tim Duncan, all named as it as examples to show that tanking works. But that's a rather simplistic take. And when you look any deeper than surface level, you see a different picture that's painted. So let's take a look at some of these recent championship teams and how tanking did or did not play a part in their success. Some of these franchises that were listed up above, let's take a look at them first. Like, Let's look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. LeBron brought them the city's first NBA championship, and it's used all the time as an example of, t- of tanking. But when Cleveland won their championship, LeBron wasn't a draft pick anymore. He was a free agent. He had already left as a free agent, and he hadn't won a championship with Cleveland in his stint there as a draft pick. He didn't win a championship until he left to another team. He won a couple championships in Miami, another franchise, and then came back to Cleveland and won it as a free agent. So that can't be counted as tanking, because they didn't win with him as their number one overall pick that they had tanked for. They, he was a, probably the most premier free agent in NBA history. Um, uh, tanking teams aren't going to do that. They're not going to go out and bring in high-quality free agents because they're tanking. They're trying to lose. So bringing in LeBron James as a free agent was the exact opposite of tanking. The second point that's made here for Cleveland is the Kyrie Irving factor. Kyrie was a number one overall pick, and he did with the team that originally drafted him. But again, it comes back to LeBron James. 
Kyrie Irving wasn't even making the playoffs until LeBron got back to Cleveland. In fact, Kyrie's first three seasons before LeBron, Cleveland never placed higher than 10th in the conference. Cleveland was riding that cycle of mediocrity while being led by Kyrie, and it wasn't until LeBron and Kevin Love came along that Kyrie finally won a championship with the team that drafted him. It's impossible to know what Kyrie would have done had LeBron never come, but you can look to Kyrie's post-LeBron career, where he's played with better talent in Boston and Brooklyn that he would have had in Cleveland if LeBron never came, or post-LeBron, and he hasn't really done anything with it. We'll see how that season, uh, how, how this season plays out with Brooklyn's big three, but even if they do succeed, that wasn't tanking that brought a championship uh, that was going out and signing another big three, which that's probably a topic for a whole other podcast. Another example that's often cited is the San Antonio Spurs drafting Tim Duncan. And Duncan is another example of a number one overall pick who won with the team that drafted him. But San Antonio is another exception, not the rule. First of all, I'm not sure if you can call what San Antonio did is tanking. After all, their Hall of Fame center had spent that year on the sidelines with an injury. With David Robinson healthy, the Spurs had a run of seven straight years as the first or second seed in the West. And even getting deep as the Western Conference Finals two seasons before his injury. When Robinson went down, they plummeted to a 20-win team, as teams do when their Hall of Famer goes down. The team wasn't exactly in tank mode, as they were winning as it was, and it was an injury to the two-time league MVP and future Hall of Famer that saw their lack of success that year. It wasn't a plan to tank. And the uncharacteristically bad season brought them the number one overall pick and brought Tim Duncan in to pair with David Robinson when he came back from injury. Teams at the top of the lottery don't typically have a future Hall of Famer on the roster ready to pair with that rookie. And that's no different from the current Orlando Magic. At best, the Spurs have an asterisk next to their name as an example of tanking, but given the history of the team leading up to that point, I can't even qualify that as tanking. And now let's look at the premier team in the NBA over the last decade, my hometown team, not my favorite team, the Golden State Warriors. Five consecutive NBA Finals appearances and three rings turned from a mediocre franchise into the premier, the model NBA franchise. But it's not a case of tanking. The highest pick on their championship roster was Steph Curry at pick seven. Klay Thompson was pick 11, and Draymond Green was a second rounder. They had a number one overall pick in Kevin Durant, but he wasn't Golden State's number one pick. He came from OKC. He was a free agent. So, And if teams are going to tank... Nobody's tanking for the number seven overall pick. You want the top pick, maybe a top three at worst. So I, the Warriors weren't tanking. They were they were a bad franchise for a long time, but they weren't tanking. You don't tank for the number seven overall pick. Then there's Philly, and they are a clear-cut tank job, but they haven't gotten any championships out of the deal yet. They've been in this trust-the-process mode since 2013 when they tanked that whole season away and grabbed Joel Embiid in 2014 at number three. And in the seven years since he was drafted, the Sixers have zero rings to show for it. They haven't even had a finals appearance at this point. 
I mean, the 2021 postseason is still in the air. At the time of this recording, the playoffs haven't begun. But it's already been seven seasons with nothing to show for it. But that's just a few examples. There have been loads of number one draft picks over the years, and they've changed the course of franchises, right? Well, let's actually go through the list and look at it. I mean, first, I mean, I... I think Anthony Edwards this season and even Zion from last season, this not really fair to judge yet. They're just getting started. It's impossible to tell what's going to happen. Who knows? Maybe in five years, I'll look back at this and Zion and Anthony Edwards are leading their teams to championships and I'll eat this entire podcast. So let's go back to before then. Uh, let's go back to 2018, DeAndre Ayton. The Suns are playing really good ball right now and look to be a powerhouse in the Western Conference, but Aiton isn't the centerpiece of that. They got Devin Booker and Chris Paul to thank for that. Um, and even then, I'm not sure that you tank your franchise hoping for a 14-10 and 10 guy. But they did have success with Devin Booker at pick 13, and they got a quality acquisition in Chris Paul, and that's what's been carrying them. So I'm not sure that I would use DeAndre Ayton as an example of successful tanking. You go back to 2017, Markel Fultz. That one's a little personal to me because he's my favorite player on the current Magic roster. But regardless of the reasons why, he was a bust in Philly. And he's not even there anymore. So he's definitely not an example of tanking success. There's Ben Simmons, zero championships there with Philly. Carl Anthony Towns, zero championships. 2014, Andrew Wiggins, traded away from Cleveland, disappointed in Minnesota, and is a mid-option on a Golden State Warriors team that's struggling through Clay's injuries. At the time when he was coming out, Magic fans were clamoring for the team to tank for Wiggins, and he's been anything but a franchise changer. 2013, you got Anthony Bennett. He's not even in the league anymore. 2012, Anthony Davis didn't really change the trajectory of New Orleans, and he didn't win anything until he paired with LeBron in L.A. Kyrie Irving, we talked about that exception to the rule, but had arguably the greatest player of all time by his side when he won his championship and hasn't done anything to this point without LeBron. 2010, John Wall didn't win anything in Washington. 2009, Blake Griffin, no championships. 2008, Derrick Rose, no championships. 2007, Greg Oden, bust. 2006, Andrea Bargnani, a career 14-6 and six guy, no championships, didn't change the direction of the Raptors. 2005, Andrew Bogut, didn't win any championships with Milwaukee, won in Golden State, but wasn't the franchise changer. 2004, Dwight Howard, another personal one. He brought Orlando to its greatest success, but he still didn't get a championship there. 2003, LeBron James, he didn't win in his initial stint there. Like, yeah, like Dwight Howard, he took the team to the finals, but Cleveland didn't get a championship out of that. Um, Yao Ming in 2002, zero championships. 2001, Kwame Brown, bust. 2000, Kenyon Martin, zero championships and not a franchise-changing talent. That's just this millennium. I could go back even further, going back through my entire life, really, and seeing the same results. Elton Brand, Michael Oluwakandi, Tim Duncan, Allen Iverson, Joe Smith, Glenn Robinson, Chris Webber, Shaquille O'Neal, Larry Johnson, Derek Coleman, Purvis Ellison, Danny Manning, David Robinson, Brad Doherty, Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon, Ralph Sampson, James Worthy, Mark Aguirre, Joe Barry Carroll. 
I'm going all the way back to 1980. It's 40 years. And in over 40 years worth of number one overall draft picks, there's 11 championships that have been won by those players on the team that drafted them. Five of those were by one player, Tim Duncan. And one of those five was well paired with another number one overall pick and Hall of Famer in David Robinson. Another of those three championships came from James Worthy, a pick that the Lakers traded for. They didn't tank for that. So of the 11 championships won by number one overall picks with the team that drafted them, eight of them were held by three players who came into situations to be paired with fellow Hall of Famers. One of the remaining three was Kyrie Irving being paired with LeBron James, bringing somebody in. So that leaves two championships left, both held by Hakeem Olajuwon. Hakeem had a lot of quality talent around him, but he might be the one sole example in 40 years worth of history of a player who was selected number one overall by his franchise, stayed, and won without already being paired alongside a fellow Hall of Famer from the get-go. If you want to have a clean example of when tanking worked, You can use the Houston Rockets, but you have to go all the way back to the 1984 draft for Olajuwon, who won his first championship in his 10th year. So that's one example out of 40. But I want to look at this from multiple angles as well. So let's look at the teams that are winning championships. And the trend continues when you look back at the championship teams over the same time frame. So we see 2020, the most recent champion, was the Lakers. They were built through free agency and trades. They traded for LeBron James and brought in Anthony Davis. That's not tanking. 2019, the Raptors traded for Kawhi Leonard. That's not tanking. 2015 through 2018, those four seasons, the Warriors got three of those. And their top pick was a number seven overall pick. You're not tanking for a number seven overall pick. And they signed Kevin Durant, a another team's number one overall pick and one of the top three players in the league at the time when they signed him. Cleveland took the other of those four and we've talked already about the Kyrie and LeBron James exception. So that's not really a tanking job. 2014 Spurs. I mean, we're going to talk about the Spurs a lot in this championship list. Um, But post-Robinson, this team was sustained by some of the best drafting I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I mean, we had you had Tony Parker at 28, at pick 28, Manu Ginobili in the second round, and this championship had Kawhi Leonard, who was drafted at number 15. Like, nobody's tanking for the 15th pick. 2012 and 13 was the Miami Heat, the Heatles with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, I don't need to say any more. That's not tanking. The Mavericks with Dirk Nowitzki, a number nine overall pick, and then a bunch of old vets with Jason Terry, Jason Kidd, Tyson Chandler, Sean Marion. That's not tanking. Kobe's Lakers, uh, 2009-2010. Kobe was a number 13 overall pick, and they brought in outside talent like Pau Gasol and Lamar Odom. Not tanking. 2008, the big three Celtics, they already had Paul Pierce, and then they traded for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. That's not tanking. And you might even use the example, the argument that they traded the number five overall pick to get Ray Allen, but they had Paul Pierce. They didn't trade him to purposefully get a worse record. 
They weren't tanking. 2007, Spurs again. We've talked about them. 2006 was the Wade and Shaq Miami Heat. Wade, a number three pick, but brought in Shaq, a premier free agent at that time. Or I think it was a trade, actually. But a premier talent that they brought in. The Spurs again in 2005. 2004, the Detroit Pistons, the epitome of anti-tanking. There were no stars on that team, period. 2003, Spurs again. 2000 through 2002, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. That's not tanking when you're signing the biggest free agent of the time in Shaquille O'Neal and running off a three-peat. 1999, Spurs again. 1996 to 1998, the Jordan, Pippen, and Rodman three-peat is not a tank job when you're bringing in a free agent like Dennis Rodman. 94 and 95, my hated Houston Rockets and the example that we used earlier, but don't, I'm not bitter about the four-game sweep. No, not at all. No bitterness here. 1991 to 1993, Jordan's first three-peat. And then the 1980s was literally all the Showtime Lakers and the Bird Celtics with one Philly thrown into the mix. So what's the point of all this? Well, we're looking at data. We're seeing trends. And the trends are, number one overall picks don't win with the team that drafted them. These number one overall picks might end up being generational talent or they might end up being busts. It's about half and half. But they never win a championship with the team that drafted them. The exceptions to the rule are number one picks that are paired with other Hall of Famers to team with. They'll win championships. But if you are a team that is tanking, you're not going to have that Hall of Fame talent. Tanking teams either don't have that talent to begin with or they trade them away so that they can be worse. The only true exception to this rule is Hakeem Olajuwon. He won his first championship in his 10th year, but he wasn't paired with already existing Hall of Famers. He did have good talent around him, but Hakeem Olajuwon was a number one overall pick and carried that team to success. We see a couple other examples of like number three overall picks winning championships, a la Michael Jordan and Dwayne Wade. But again, just like number one picks, these guys are getting paired with other Hall of Famers in the form of Scottie Pippen, Shaquille O'Neal. But what we see more frequently than anything are teams who utilize the draft as a tool along with all their other resources. Teams make the most of drafting in the lower lottery or mid-round picks. Championship-winning Hall of Famers are found in the middle of the draft. We see teams that utilize free agent and trading to build complete rosters along with drafting. We don't see teams who tank for number one overall picks, turning it around and winning championships. Within a 40-year sample size, the exceptions to the rule are so few that they're an outlier. Fans and teams alike seem to think that tanking is a valid strategy, but the history of the NBA speaks otherwise. An argument is made that for a small market team like Orlando, 
tanking for picks is the only way they can compete because players don't want to sign there. But again, NBA history disagrees with that. Orlando's greatest periods of success came off the backs of not just their number one overall picks, but also big-time free agent signings. Shaquille O'Neal had a second number one overall pick that was turned into Penny, along with good drafting leading up to that point with Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott, and a major free agent signing in Horace Grant. Dwight Howard was a number one overall pick that was paired with good drafting elsewhere, bringing in Jameer Nelson and J.J. Redick, as well as free agent signings like Hito Turkoglu in Dwight's rookie year and then Rashard Lewis a few years later. One of Orlando's most premier players of all time was Tracy McGrady. Orlando was a free agent destination for Tracy McGrady, Grant Hill, and nearly for Tim Duncan. It's well documented how close we were to signing him. The Magic have, haven't have been a free agent destination lately, but not because of their market, but because of their lack of success. More recently, you've seen small market teams like Milwaukee and Oklahoma City able to retain their marquee player. Giannis just re-signed with the Bucks, and Westbrook had re-signed a big contract with OKC and didn't want out until they went into full rebuild mode. Gordon Hayward just signed with Charlotte. Carmelo stayed in Portland. Brandon Ingram stayed in New Orleans. Players will sign with a small market. They just need a reason to. Small market teams may need to work a little bit harder, but a team tanking and developing a losing culture is not going to attract free agents. That won't for sure. There's a reason why these number one overall picks tend to win championships with other franchises. The franchise that drafts them is so depleted of talent, especially if you're doing it purposefully and trading your talent away, they can't put the talent around their star draft pick to be able to win. And then the player goes off somewhere else where they can be in a better situation. There's a reason why there are so many number seven, number 11, number 13, number 15 overall picks that end up as star champions because they are being brought into better better situations. So I said I'm a Magic fan, and I wanted to talk about how this impacts the Orlando Magic. Well, it's simple. The Magic have a youth core already, with Markel Fultz, Jonathan Isaac, Cole Anthony, Chumo Kiki. Markel Fultz is 23 years old this May. By the way, he and I share the same birthday, so happy early birthday, twin. Jonathan Isaac is 23 years old. Cole Anthony is 21. Chumo Kiki is 22. The Magic are already built around four lottery caliber picks, all 23 years old or younger. Before injuries ravaged the roster, the Magic were already running through Markel Fultz. Isaac was injured to start the year, but Cole and Okiki were getting significant minutes off the bench. And then you had some of the vets like Vooch, Fournier, and Gordon. They were taking a back seat to let the youth take over. It was a small sample size, but in that period of time, the Magic had the best record in the Eastern Conference. Then Fultz got hurt, and it all changed. And then to top it all off, Evan Fournier, Aaron Gordon, Cole Anthony, Chumo Kiki, they all spent significant time sidelined with injury this past season. This season was a throwaway regardless. But did that warrant blowing up the entire franchise at the trade deadline? The team traded away Gordon... Evan Fournier, Nikola Vucevic, who had an all-star season. The Fournier trade was actually a good one, I thought. He needed to leave anyways, and the Magic didn't take back any salary. That was the only thing I had against trading Fournier this year was needing to bring back salary, but they traded him for a couple draft picks, so good job. 
Gordon, I could go either way on. I liked him and I wanted him to turn into something with us, but he seemed stagnant and the Magic got RJ Hampton out of the deal. So that trade might have been a good one too. It's really the Vucevic pick or trade that I question. I pointed out that examples of number one picks winning when they are paired with Hall of Famers, that's that's the trend. Um, and Vooch, it's far from a Hall of Famer. Don't take this any kind of way. Like Vooch is not a Hall of Famer. He never will be. But he was already made all-star, already on the roster. And having that sort of presence on a team made up of a core that's already 23 years and younger, along with the top lottery pick we were going to get this injury plague season, that would have been invaluable. The team was already a playoff team under Vooch, and they weren't going to make the playoffs this year, but still having that playoff experience to add to the youth core of Fultz, Isaac, Cole, Okiki, and a likely top four pick would have been a formula for success in my eyes. But instead, Vooch was traded to Chicago. Now, I do like the package Orlando got in return. We got an expiring $28 million deal uh, and a first-round pick. Uh, It's a pretty good package in return. If you're going to trade Vooch, that's exactly the kind of trade it should have been. What has hamstrung the Magic in the post-Dwight years has been their salary cap mismanagement, so clearing that money off the books offers a lot of flexibility, and having two first-round picks to go along with it is exciting. But now we run into a scenario where the future of the franchise is being put in the hands of a lottery pick, something that, as we've seen, as I've pointed out, does not work. Not until there's a Hall of Fame level talent to pair them with and are Fultz, Isaac, Kohler, Okiki a Hall of Fame talent? Uh, I don't think so. I love all those guys, but I don't think they're Hall of Fame caliber. And are we going to use that $28 million to bring one in? Well, that's going to be the key. Um, because I don't trust the future of the franchise solely in the hands of a lottery pick. 40 years worth of history says that doesn't work. And while the $28 million freed up in cap space is nice, the team already had their all-star in that spot with that money. And maybe Vooch would have led to a few more wins and a slightly lower draft position this year, but it could have helped to establish a culture. Leadership from a guy who had playoff experience, who's carried us there before. Leadership from a guy that wanted to be in Orlando. Hope to those new guys coming back from injury next year that the team is about winning. Somebody they already have chemistry with. Someone who's already done it and been there. They're going to be coming back and playing at full strength and having that all-star presence helping guide them to success. Because despite the common opinion of the mediocrity treadmill, teams don't go from number one overall pick to NBA Finals. Even in Orlando's own history, there were years of that mediocrity as they climbed the ladder to success. In Shaq's first year, Orlando had the best record of all non-playoff teams. We got another number one overall pick because of a fluke in the lottery setup. In Penny's first year, the team lost in the first round as the fourth seed. Orlando, going into Dwight's first few years, Orlando was a 10th seed for the first two years, and then an 8th seed getting swept in the first round after that, and then losing in the semifinals the next year before they finally got back into the finals. So 
Prior to this year, the Magic may have been merely an eighth seed, but they are already getting better year to year just from the growth and development of their youth. This year, they added two new lottery caliber talents to their roster, and they're only going to get better. Next year, regardless of circumstances, they'd have added a fifth to a, a fifth lottery caliber player to that core, and they would have had an all-star on the team. With the development of the four lottery talents 23 years and younger and the addition of another one and an all-star on the team, you can't convince me that the Magic would have been merely mediocre next season, especially when the sample size that we had, albeit small, had the Magic as the number one record in the Eastern Conference with that formula. But now, the Magic take their chances on a philosophy that has the entirety of NBA history working against it.